You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. All right, what's up, Overflow? Good to see you guys tonight. Anybody out there? Anybody awake? Anybody tired of being cold? Tired of snow and ice and all that mess. And well, maybe you're almost done with it. Austin is in El Paso tonight at UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso. I don't know if you guys realize uh, what a sought-after speaker Austin Wadlow is. The dude travels all over the place. And uh, we are fortunate to have him here at First Denton and to have him here at Overflow. And, and uh, so I uh, hope you realize that and uh, pray for him. And, and I want us to begin tonight by praying for him there in El Paso, that God would use him as he speaks to uh, that gathering there. I don't remember what they call it there, but it's, it's a pretty big deal. And, and a friend of his invited him to come speak at it. And then let's pray for us here tonight, okay, that God would speak to us through his word. We're going to continue with the series we've been in and acclimate uh, tonight. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for all we've experienced already tonight in worship. Thank you for each of these students who are here tonight, Father. I know it's a very busy time of year for them as they right in the middle of the semester now and, and uh, lots going on. But, Father, I pray that for these next few moments we can kind of block all that out tonight and just hear from you as we open your word and look at a book that is ancient, that is very old, thousands of years old. And the events that took place there took place thousands of years ago. But I thank you, Father, that, that those things so long ago apply to us today in 2015 in Denton, Texas. And I pray, Father, you would make your word come alive to us tonight. Lord, we pray for Austin tonight as he is in El Paso at a group there at at UTEP. And, Father, we just pray for your spirit to fall on him and on that place. And that, Father, you would use him as he speaks your word tonight, uh, that you would do the same thing there, Father. You'd make your word come alive. Uh, You would make a difference in the lives of those students there. And that, Father, you would use him in a powerful way. We thank you for Austin. Thank you, Father, that, that you brought him here to First Denton and to overflow. And thank you, Father, for the great job that he does in, in leading this ministry and the blessing that he is uh, to us. And so we just pray for him tonight. pray for safe travel back and uh, look forward to having him back here at overflow next Tuesday night, Father. So thank you again for our time tonight. And just uh, speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. If you got your Bibles tonight, open to Exodus chapter 12. Now, you need to keep your Bible open the whole time. We're going to start in chapter 12. We're going to finish in chapter 14 tonight. And we're going to read a lot of Scripture this evening. You've been in this series all throughout this semester. You know, Exodus, of course, is the second book of the Bible. And the actual Exodus itself, the, the actual leaving of the Israelite people from slavery and bondage to the Egyptian people, and then out into the wilderness for 40 years, and then finally into the promised land. It's literally the pivotal event in in Jewish history. Uh, Even today, in 2015, Jews still commemorate what happened thousands of years ago in the book of Exodus. As a matter of fact, what we're going to talk about tonight uh, they're leaving out and going, and, and the Passover, I know Austin dealt with that in detail uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, what happened then, those thousands of years ago, still today, Jews uh, commemorate that. Uh, it's huge. It's very significant in their faith and, uh, and in their history. And, and so what we're looking at is, is not just some old story. Uh, it's huge. It's big time. And uh, this book, uh, telling about this story, how they let out and, and were taken out of that, is, is huge. But here's what I want to do tonight, okay? 
Uh, I really believe that the Exodus, that releasing of those people from slavery uh, to the Egyptians, is a great picture of what God does in our lives. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, and, and some of you have done that in the past, many of you have, some of you may not yet have done that, uh, it, it really mirrors what happened with the Israelites. They were in slavery to some people, and, and they were literally used as, as slave workers to build the pyramids, and, and many believe that's what they, they were doing, building the pyramids that are there today, and, and, and they were slaves to that. You and I, before we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are slaves to sin. We're slaves to Satan. There's really only two options in life. Either you're on God's side or you're on Satan's side. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. You say, oh, but, you know, before I became a Christian, you know, I was a good person, and, and you know, and I, 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 wasn't, you know, I wasn't a Satan worshiper or anything like that. Well, no, not necessarily that, but just know you're either on God's side or you're on Satan's side. You're either in slavery to sin or you're in slavery, if you want to say it that way, to God. And their coming out of Egypt and moving toward the promised land is a great picture of our coming out of our sinfulness, coming out of our lostness, and becoming a follower, becoming a child of Jesus Christ. So that's what I want to kind of think about today. And what we're going to see is we're going to see them leaving Egypt, leaving slavery, getting out in the wilderness, and that's really when the battle begins. And we're going to see God fighting the battle for them tonight as we go through that. All right, so let's begin. Chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading in verse 30 and uh, read down through verse 37 to begin with. Now, just real quick, maybe you weren't here the last couple of weeks. The Passover took place at the end of 10 plagues that God brought on the Egyptians to get Pharaoh finally to the point where he wanted them to leave. Moses had gone and asked several times, hey, we need to leave. We need to go out into the wilderness. We need to spend some time out there worshiping God and offering sacrifices. And Pharaoh said, uh-uh, you're not going. They didn't want to lose the slave labor. I mean, if they, they left, you know, it's all done. Pyramids are only half done. They really look goofy and, and uh, never gets finished. And so he kept saying, no, no, no. And so God sent these plagues. And I don't know what all you know Austin did with the plagues and all, but there's the plagues and the gnats and the, and the Nile turning into blood and the frogs and, and all this stuff. But the last one was the most significant one. The Scripture calls it the death angel. And literally what happened was that every firstborn child in every Egyptian household died one night. When the death angel passed over every firstborn child. Now think about that. How many of you are firstborn children in the room tonight? Let me hold your hand up, all right? Every one of you gone, dead, all right? You're out. That's what happened in one night. And so you can imagine what, what it must have been like there in Egypt. And, and even the Pharaoh's son, even the top dude, his son wasn't spared. And so that was kind of the last straw. And Pharaoh came in and said, get out, go, leave. Let's read about it. Exodus chapter 12, verse 30. It says, Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. And so he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And, and this, you know, Scripture is kind of humorous sometimes if you really kind of think about it. Look what he says in the end there. He says, Oh, and by the way, bless me too. <laughs> I mean, this guy's he's crazy. You know, he's telling him to get out, get out, but he's got to throw that kind of in in the end. You know, bless me too. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. One dead in every house. They're probably thinking, okay, I'm next. 
and all of us are going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls before they bound them in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had done as Moses told them, for they'd asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked for. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Now, when you hear the word plundered, if you're like me, you think of, you know, these Vikings going into a village and plundering the village, you know, and taking it all. Actually, the word plundered means is they made a shrewd business deal, okay? They made a good deal, basically, with the Egyptians. Now, here's what I want to do, all right? Kind of two parts to this message tonight. I want to talk, first of all, about this kind of going out, this leaving part. And I want you to see some things that God did with them because they're much like what God does with us and releasing us from the bondage of sin. Okay, now, if you like to take notes, I got some notes for you to take. All right? I'm going to give you four things in this, okay? We're going to talk about four things that God frees us from when he frees us from the bondage of sin, okay? But once they get out into the wilderness, then the battle begins. And we're going to talk about what God does for us in fighting the battle. Okay, so I'll have four lessons in the first half and four in the second. Okay, so here we go. Number one is this. First of all, when God frees us from the bondage of sin, he provides all we need for the journey of life. When God frees you from the bondage of sin, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you finally get to the point where you say, okay, God, I'm in. I'm all in. I want you in my life. Just know that God's going to give you, he's going to provide for you what you need for the journey. And that's exactly what he did with the Israelites. You see, when it got close to time for that last plague to come, and God knew that the Pharaoh was going to be so upset, he's going to shove them out. Before that, God said to them, he said, now, Moses, tell the Israelites to go to the Egyptians and to ask them for silver and gold and other things. And, and somehow God supernaturally made the Egyptians generous towards the Israelites. And when they went and asked, they said yes. And they gave them gold, and they gave them silver, and they gave them supplies. And all of that was a part of God's plan. Because God knew they were going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And they were going to need all those supplies. Now, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, go. It's a great trip. I've been five or six times, and, and it's amazing just to see that place where Jesus walked. And, and I've never made it all the way down to Egypt, but I've made it close. And when you get south of Jerusalem, uh, just not far out of Jerusalem, it's nothing but rocks and hills. I mean, there's no trees, there's no grass, there's nothing. It's just like it's desert and mountains, okay? That's the area they were in for that 40 years. So there's nothing out there, okay? They had to take everything with them out of Egypt that they could make it during that time they were out there. And God gave it to them. He gave it to them through the Israelites. And I would just say to you, that's exactly what he does with us. When he sends us on this journey of Christianity, this journey of being a child of God, God provides what we need. You know, we, we take step one in the journey, and that's when we let Christ come into our life, that salvation, the next step, baptism, the next step, church membership, the next step, serving God. You know, it's a journey. The Christian life is a journey. Now, the Israelites took a long journey, 40 years, when they left Egypt and finally made it to the promised land. But all along the way, God provided for them. And God does the same thing for us. He does that for us materially. He does that for us spiritually, mentally, in every way. God provides for our journey when we place our lives in his hands. Now, you know, those Egyptians or those Israelites could have said to Moses, you know, I, I really don't think that's a good idea to ask the Egyptians for those things. I mean, they might not say no, or they might not give it to us. And, and so I'm just not going to ask. Well, if they hadn't asked, guess what? 
they wouldn't have had what they needed for the journey. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. He says, you have not because you ask not. You know, some of you are in a situation in your life, you're saying, you know, I just don't, I don't have the things I need. I don't have maybe what I need to, to go to school. I don't have a need to, you know, to pay my tuition or pay my housing or whatever that. You know, sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. You know, I would just ask, have you asked God for that need? Have you asked him? And some of you say, yeah, I've asked him a thousand times. I hadn't gotten it yet. Well, you know, sometimes God takes us on a different journey as he takes us through it all. But sometimes we just don't have because we don't ask. They ask and God gave to them. So that's the first lesson we learn from this going out is that God takes us on this journey and he gives us what he needs. Secondly, God seldom, God very seldom sends us on shortcuts in life. Okay, now we're going to skip over to chapter 13 now and verse 17. So chapter 13, verse 17, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now, Scripture tells us that about 600,000 of the Israelites left the land of Egypt. Now think about that, 600,000. You know, Denton has about 125,000. So multiply that times what, at least four, almost five, uh, I guess five. That's how many people were a part of the Israelite family. Men, okay? A lot of scholars say, okay, now you, you add in how many women and children there must have been. Some say as many as three million Israelites left out of Egypt. Now, that, that's a band of brothers right there now. That's a big group. Think about it. Three million people moving at one time. Unbelievable what it would take just to feed them every day, uh, just to take care of all their needs. But again, God brought them out. And, and if, you, if you look at a map, and I'd encourage you to do this later on, most Bibles in the back have, have maps back there. And most of them have a map of the Exodus, okay? And so if you look at a map of the Exodus, if you can kind of picture in your mind the Mediterranean Sea, Okay, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, I always kind of think of it like this. Okay, you got Europe up here. Okay, so you got Italy over here, you know, Spain's over here, and England's all the way up over here. And then here is like the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, so Egypt's down here, and Israel's right over here. Okay, so the, the shortest route would be to go along the shore of the Mediterranean Sea to get there. As a matter of fact, most scholars would say, even with three million people, it would only take about three weeks to go from where they were to the promised land. Three weeks is all it would take. And they would need to go east and a little bit north after they got around, okay? But if you look on the map back there in the back and you read in Scripture, you'll find they did not go east and north. Instead, they went south and east, almost opposite the way that they needed to go, out into the desert instead of up to the promised land. They didn't take a shortcut. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm the shortcut king, all right, especially in Denton. You know, I've lived here 17 years now, and I know all the shortcuts to get to Denton. I can even avoid the construction in Denton today. Now, that's pretty amazing, you know, if you think about it, because there's construction everywhere. And I like shortcuts, but you know what? I found sometimes that my shortcuts really aren't shortcuts. My wife and I will leave from the same place. She'll go the straight way to get there. I'll go the shortcut, and she'll beat me by 10 minutes sometimes. Now, she had to stop four times at red lights. I never stopped, okay? And that's kind of how we are a lot of times as guys, you know. As long as we're moving, it's a shortcut, right? Uh, even if it's longer to get there than the otherwise, all right? Uh, as long as we're moving, you know, we're getting there short. 
God doesn't often send us through shortcuts, though. Unfortunately, sometimes God sends us the opposite way of where we think we ought to go. And when sometimes we get frustrated, we say, oh, God, you know, I can just, just let me go this way. You know, I don't need to go through all these things over here, but God's got a plan. And God's got a way that he wants to send us, and he wants to grow us through this, and he wants to grow us through that situation. And that's what he did with the Israelites. He wasn't ready for them to go in the promised land at that point. He had some battles for them to win. He had some things for them to do. And so he took them and he put them out. Now, here's a spiritual lesson. Unfortunately, a lot of us in the Christian life, we want what my good friend David Dykes, pastor over in East Texas, calls microwave Christianity. You know what microwave Christianity is? It's quick, quick. Now, I'm going to tell you how old I am, all right? I am so old that I remember the first microwave that we got at our house. I was about 13 years old. I know you didn't know that. There was a time before microwaves. It was true. If you wanted to warm something up, you had to turn on the oven and put it in the oven, and two hours later, you could eat it, you know? Uh, it wasn't, and so when we got that first microwave, man, that was big time. Now, you put that in there in 30 seconds, you know, your hot dog was ready to go. I mean, it was amazing. The thing was about this big, you know, and it was just humongous. But it was great because, bam, we had it, and you could eat something and warm it up real quick. Well, unfortunately, that's the way a lot of us want our Christianity, we think, you know, well, you know, I became a Christian last year, and so I ought to be mature and, and, and know everything six months later. But it doesn't work that way. God's got us going on different paths many times. And it takes consistent time in God's Word, daily time in prayer, consistently over a long period of time to grow and to become all that God wants us to be. So don't go looking for microwave Christianity. Just know that God's got a plan. And he seldom takes us on shortcuts. All right, let's look at another passage. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 20. Kind of a third lesson here in this is this. God guides us on this journey we're on 24-7. 24-7, God guides us on this journey. All right, so Exodus chapter 13, let's begin in verse 20. Look what he says. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Harahoth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea." For Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. All right, now I said that God will guide you. Now, here's how God guided the Israelites. Once they got out of the wilderness, God said, okay, during the day, I'm going to have this pillar of cloud. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of wonder, what does a pillar of cloud look like? And when I think of a pillar, I think of these things right here, okay? We've got these pillars in here that hold up the roof in this building. You know, pillars are usually long and tall and, and uh, you know, not, not too big around. Maybe that's what it looked like. I don't know. It was, it was a huge cloud, though. And it guided them every day as they went. At night, it turned to a pillar of fire. Now, that, I think that would even be more cool, don't you? I mean, a cloud, that's pretty cool, but a pillar of fire? You know, and I guess once it got dark, bam, you know, the fire came out, and there it was. And, and it was real easy. It was real simple. When, when the cloud moved, they moved. When the clouds stood still, they stood still. God guided them day and night, 24-7, as they went from where they started in Egypt to where they were going to end up in the promised land one day. Now, I don't know about you, 
But sometimes I kind of wish God would do that with me today. Sometimes I wish he'd stick a pillar of cloud out there in front of me and say, okay, Jeff, go right now. And now go left. And now go over here. And at night I'd see this fire and, and I'd know to go this way and that way. But, but I don't know about you, but, but in my life, in my Christian life, God hasn't often done it that way. Instead, what God often does is he kind of takes me step by step by step. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of want to know where I'm headed. You know, I want to know how long it's going to take to get there, how much it's going to cost to get there, and when I'm going to get there. That's kind of how that way I am. You know, that's definitely the way we are on vacations. You know, we set out on vacation. We got it all planned. You know, we're going to go here, and we're going to go here, and we're going to do this and this. We plan it all out. But unfortunately, that's not all the way it is with God and the Christian life. You know, my wife is big on Valentine's Day. You know, Valentine's Day was last month. When our kids were home, we always, Valentine's Day was big. You know, you'd had Christmas, uh, you know, about a month and a half before, and, and so you hadn't had anything, and so she wanted to make it big for the kids. And so what we would do in Valentine's Day, we always had a scavenger hunt on Valentine's Day. Ryan would have one. Liz would have one. I had to do one for my wife. She did one for me. And, and you know, we always had a, some kind of gift, candy or, or something or whatever it was we got for her. But she had to go on the scavenger hunt to get it. And so you'd have the first clue, and it would have something like roses are red, violets are blue, go find clue number two, you know, and it'd tell you where to go. And, and you would have to go and find that clue before you could go to the next clue. And finally, you'd end up, and your, your present would be in the dryer, you know, in the laundry room. You know, you go in there, oh, there's my, my Valentine thing, you know. But the thing about those scavenger hunts is you can never just go to the end to start with, unless you just got lucky, you know, and you thought, oh, you know, last year it was in the dryer, maybe it's in there this year. But Tammy's smart. She didn't do the two years in a row. So you had to go each step along the way. You couldn't get to the end until you went to all the other steps. And that's kind of how it is with the Christian life. Reminds me of a story of a farmer who told his son one night, he said, son, go out to the barn and check on the cows. The son said, but dad, it's dark out there and I can't see the barn and I'm afraid I can't do it. And he said, well, son, can you, can you see the tree in the front yard? He said, yeah, dad. He said, go to the tree. And so he went to the tree. And he hollered at me and said, and he said, Dad, I still can't see the barn. He said, well, son, can you see the mailbox? Yeah, yeah, Dad, I can see the mailbox. We'll go to the mailbox. So he went to the mailbox. He got to the mailbox. He said, Dad, I still can't see the barn, and now I can't see you. He said, well, son, can you see the well? He said, yeah, Dad, I can see the well. We'll go to the well. And he got to the well, and he hollered back, and he said, Dad, Dad, I, I can't see you anymore. And he said, well, son, can you see the barn now? He said, yeah, I can see the barn, Dad. He said, well, go check on the cows. <laughs> and so he went to the barn and checked on the cows. You know, over here at the start, he couldn't see the barn. But he could see the, mountain, the tree. And then he could see the mailbox. And then he could see the well. And then he could see the barn. And that's how, kind of God, how God does it with us. You know, some of you right now are wondering, God, what, what do you have for me? And you're thinking about the barn way over here. But all God wants you to do is to look at the tree. It's just a little bit in front of you. And make it to that step. And God says, once you get to the tree, then I'll get you to the mailbox. And then I'll get you to the well. And finally, I'll get you to the barn. Don't be looking at the barn. Just look at the next step. And let God take you step by step along the way. Because he promises us, as his children, he wants to guide us. He's got a plan for us. God doesn't want to keep secret from you what he has in, in life for you. He wants you to know but he wants you to trust him all along the way. And that's what he did with the Israelites, and I believe that's what he does with us. Now, you know, we've got to go back and say, well, you know, I wish we had that pillar of, of cloud or pillar of fire. You know what? We've got something even better than that. 
Remember in Acts chapter 2, it was what we call the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that, that God spoke in this mighty rushing wind. Kind of reminds you of clouds, doesn't it? And then it says that there were little flames of fire above the heads of the people. Kind of reminds you of the pillar of fire. And God spoke to them that day and said, I am sending to you the Holy Spirit to guide you. You see, that's what we have today. We have God's Holy Spirit. We don't need a cloud. We don't need a thing of fire. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And when we listen to him, he tells us each step along the way. All right, one other little lesson with this is God's directions, though, as he takes us along these steps, sometimes seem confusing. God's directions in our life can sometimes seem a little confusing. All right, let's get to chapter 14. And we've already read a couple of verses, but let me read again in verse 1. Look what it says. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hirahoth, between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall camp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land and the, and the wilderness has shut them in. Let me tell you what's happening here. They've left. Remember I told you they went southeast, which was away from the promised land, okay? And they got down there a little bit. And then God basically said to the Israelites, he said, I want you to turn around and go back. Now, to begin with, they're going away from Pharaoh. They're going away from Ramses. And, and you know, that would be the logical thing, would it not? Let's get away from the enemy. Let's get away from the guy that's trying to put us back into slavery. But God told them to turn around and go back. And the reason he was, did that was he was trying to bait Pharaoh out. He was trying to get him out. And you can imagine, three million people, remember? I mean, that, that kind of puts up a cloud of dust a little bit. And so here's Pharaoh kind of watching. And he sees them coming back, and he probably thinks to himself, these guys are dumber than I thought. They're coming right back to us. And so he says, all right, boys, saddle up. Let's go get them. They're coming back. But they were going right where God wanted them to. Now, it probably did seem a little confusing to them. I mean, why are we going back there where we came from? Well, again, God had a plan. Sometimes God's direction in our life and what he tells us to do seems a little confusing. And I won't tell you, there's a lot of things in God's word that God tells us to do that seem a little confusing. For instance, if you've been in church maybe all your life, you know that the Bible teaches a concept called tithing. Tithing says that I am to give one-tenth of what God gives to me back to him. I'm to give back to him that tenth. And here's what the Bible says. Here's what the concept of tithing says. God says, if you will give me 10% of what I give you, he said, I will make the 90% that you have left go further than the 100% that I gave you would have to start with. Now, does anybody raise their hand and say that makes sense? Any math majors in here? <laughs> Any finance majors? Okay. Does that make sense? That 90% would go further than 100%? Absolutely not. That's crazy. But yet that's what God says. That's what God's word says. Again, sometimes God's directions are confusing. You know, the Bible says, if you want to gain your life, you've got to lose it. I mean, what's up with that? Really? If I want to gain something, I've got to lose it? But yeah, that's what God says. God also says, if you want to be exalted, you've got to humble yourself. I mean, really? To exalt myself, I've got to humble myself? But yet, that's what God's Word says. And the bottom line here is, it's our job not to reason why those things are, as God says. Our job is just to do it. Just say, okay, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow you, 
I'm going to be obedient to you. So the Israelites leave Egypt, and now they're out in the wilderness. But they've gone back up, and now Pharaoh has got his army together. He said, okay, let's go get them, and let's get them back. They'd kind of forgotten about those firstborn dying, I guess. And they were ready to have them back in their slavery. Okay, so now it's wartime. Now it's time for battle. So let's talk about how God fought for those Israelites and how he fights for us. Okay, did you know that? As a child of God, God fights for you every single day. And when he does, some things happen in your life. So let me give you four things that happen when God fights for us. Okay, when he fights for us in our life. All right, four things. One quick story before we get to that about what we're going to see right here. little boy came home from Sunday school one day. Daddy said, son, what did you learn in Sunday school? If you went to Sunday school as a kid, I bet your parents asked you that once or twice. What did you learn? And most of the time you say, nothing. We had crackers and juice and, and all that. But this little boy, he said, well, he said, dad, we learned about Pharaoh and we learned about the army of the Israelites. He said, oh, really? What did you learn? How did it go? He said, well, what did the teacher tell you? He said, well, here's what happened, Dad. He said, the Israelites were stuck right there by the, the Red Sea. And the Egyptians were coming at them. And so the Israelite uh, Army Corps of Engineers built a pontoon bridge across the Red Sea. And then they brought in their helicopters with their artillery and the other guys, and they fought off the Egyptians while all the Israelites went over that pontoon bridge over to the other side to safety. And then all of the fighting guys, they retreated over the pontoon bridge as well and got on the other side. And about that time, the Pharaoh got there with all of his army and he said, charge. And they started going over the the pontoon bridge as well. And then all of the guys with the artillery and the Israelites, they began to shoot down the pontoon bridge and the pontoon bridge fell into the Red Sea and all the the Egyptians fell in the Red Sea and they drowned. And his dad kind of looked at him and he said, son... Is that really what your teacher taught you today? He says, no, Dad, but if I told you what she really said, you would never believe what she said. (laughs) Well, it is an amazing story. It's a miraculous story. It's one that I believe happened exactly like Scripture said. It tells us that God fought for the Israelites that day, and he did so in a very unusual way. So let's learn some four things real quick. Number one, when God fights for you, he calms your fears. When God fights for you as his child, he calms your fears. All right, chapter 14. Let's go to verse 10 and begin reading right there. When Pharaoh drew near, so here they are at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's coming at them. So when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So when God fights for us, he calms our fears. Basically, God was saying to them, hey, just trust me. Just trust me. They were upset. They were afraid. Basically saying to Moses, Moses, you sorry leader. Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? It'd be better for us to die there as, as slaves in Egypt. And by the way, this wasn't the first time they had complained. They'd been complaining all along the way. 
And isn't that just like us as Christians? Don't we complain a lot to God? God, why don't you do this? God, why don't you answer my prayer? God, why didn't you heal my friend or my parents? God, why didn't you do fill in the blank? We're just like them. We complain. We're afraid. We're fearful for what's going to happen next in our lives. And we get upset as well. And by the way, Moses did too. Moses was talking strong and talking big in front of the people. But when he got back and before God, look at verse 15 and what it says. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Moses was human just like them. Even as the leader, he too was afraid. He too was upset. So I guess maybe the lesson is, hey, it's okay to be afraid sometimes. But just know that when God fights for us, he calms our fears. Right, lesson number two. When God fights for you, he gives you orders. He gives you orders. Right there in that passage, it said, God said to him, hey, move on. Go ahead. Three different directions we see in this passage. We see the Israelites saying, let's go back. We see Moses saying, let's stand still. And we see God saying, move ahead. Go forward. Now, all three of those things happen in our lives from time to time. Sometimes we're tempted to go back. Go back to our old lifestyle. Go back to how we, how we lived before we came to know Christ. Sometimes we're, we're content just to stay right where we are. And I'll be honest with you, the Bible does say, be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes it's just good to be still. Maybe it's in a worship service. Maybe it's in a time of, uh, you know, personal time with God. But more often than not, God says to us, I want you to move ahead. I want you to move forward. I don't want you to sit still. I don't want you to hold back. I want you to move forward. And that's what he told the Israelites. I want you to move ahead. Go ahead. Don't just stop. All right, honestly, how many of you have ever run out of gas in your car? Let me see your hands. Come on. Run out of gas. Happened to me several times when I was in high school because I never had money to buy gas, you know. And I was just trying to make that thing go a little bit further and a little bit further. And, and sure enough, I, there was this hill going to school. And I, that's where it always ran out, you know, because I guess the gas would go to the back of the tank. And, but, you know, when you run out of gas, it's hard to steer the car, isn't it? Because once that car dies, that power steering, man, you've got to pull that thing and you've got to get it up. But when the car's going, it's easy to steer, right? Well, that's kind of how we are. You know, when we're moving ahead, God can then steer us where he wants us to go. But when we decide, okay, I'm going to sit still, I'm not going to move, we're kind of like that car out of gas. It's hard to guide us. It's hard to steer us. And that's why God says, I want you to keep moving ahead, even though you may not know where you're going. He said, just keep moving ahead. Just keep moving forward, and I'll guide you where I want you to go. Lesson number three, when God fights for us, he frustrates our enemies. God frustrates those that would hold us back and keep us from being all God wants us to be. Chapter 14, verse 19, look what it says. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and waters, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. They were terrified, scared to death. They had the sea on one side, 
their mortal enemies coming from the other side? Afraid. But yet in the midst of that, God began to frustrate their enemies. Now what he did was he took that pillar of cloud, remember? And by the way, later on we find out the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was really an angel. It was an angel of God there to guide them and direct them. But it had always been in front of them, and so they followed it. But now the thing goes behind them, and really it's now between the Egyptians over here and the Israelites over here. On the Israelite side, everything is bright, and they can see on this side over here, everything's dark, and they can't see. So he's frustrating the enemy. And isn't that interesting how sometimes God can be two different things to two different people? You know, the Bible says the same sun that warms our earth also dries up and cracks our earth. You know, the same God that sometimes leads us and directs us also frustrates us and keeps us from going. That's what was happening here. He was frustrating the enemies over here while he was giving courage to the Israelites over here. And then finally, God said, Moses, lift up your hand, and the waters began to separate. And literally, there was a 12-lane superhighway down the middle with no paid lanes, all right, no toll lanes. They were all free. And they all went across on dry ground. Nothing short of a miracle. Supernatural. And I can just kind of see them, you know. It's like being at SeaWorld, you know, in the aquarium, you know. You know, you see the hammerhead shark over there and, and the jellyfish over there. And I, you can just imagine walking through there and going through all that. Meantime, the Egyptians over here frustrated with all that's going on. See, when God fights for you, he frustrates the enemy. All right, one last lesson. When God fights for you, the path ahead opens up. That's what happened with them. The path in front of them opened up. They began to walk across. Three million people. Make it to the other side. How they did it that fast, again, it's just miraculous. But they get to the other side, and so here they are, and, and you know, the wall's still up on both sides. And they look across, and they see the Pharaoh on the other side, and the Pharaoh says, charge! And they take off and come at them. And so what do you think the Israelites do? They get afraid again. I mean, these people, they're just afraid all the time. They're going to come get us. God, Moses as well, says, God, I can't believe you're doing this. You got us across here, but now they're coming to get us. They're coming across on the same way that we came across. Let's pick it up again. Chapter 14, beginning verse 23. Look what it says. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch, the Lord and the pillar of the fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily and the Egyptians said, let us free from, flee from before the Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Israelites. Then Moses said to Mo, or the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servants. Moses. So you see what happened. 
Once the Israelites on the other side, all the Egyptians get in and start going out, the water came back in and it drowned all the Egyptians. God took care of his people. God fought for his people. And God's still in the business of doing that today. God's still in the business of fighting for you and opening up the paths before you. And all we've got to do is say, okay, God, I'm ready. Enjoy the freedom that he gives us from the slavery of sin. And then let him fight our battles for us. You know, so often that's what we want. We want to fight our own battles. We want to take care of ourselves. When God says, let me do it. Let me fight it. Now, chapter 15, I don't know if Austin's going to pick up there next week or not, but that chapter 15 is the very first song in the Bible. Okay, very first song in the Bible. And basically this song says, Moses, Moses, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. That's, the, that's really what the song is about there. Because once again, they're fired up. They've seen God do these great things. But just know they're going to complain again because they're going to get upset again. And you know what? That's kind of how we are, isn't it? We win the battle. Everything's great. Everything's good. You know, we, we go to overflow on Tuesday night. We feel great. But guess what? You got to go back to the battle tomorrow morning. That's when we sometimes get discouraged a little bit. And we say, oh, can't do this. And we just got to remember, God goes with us into the battle. He gives us the freedom, and then he fights for us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.